Well, we um, are in First uh, Peter chapter one, and we're in a really juicy section, I would say, because it's dealing with the Redeemer, and uh, quite a quite a topic that is. What we have looked at already, if we connect our verse. 17, 18, 19, even going back before that, we saw that uh, Peter was bringing out, you know, of course there's a ransom coming, but he's he was also talking about be holy for I am holy. And then he talked about the Father who impartially judges. And then he's talking about con- conduct yourselves in fear during the time that you're here. So it's kind of interesting that he's used the word hope if you remember, back a few weeks ago we talked about hope in the grace of God. And then we looked at fear. Uh, and now we're going to go into um, this section about redemption. And, and it's all kind of connected together. Um, fear could in one sense be fear that you would conduct yourself in the sense, let's say, where we're going forward is about the ransom, about redemption, that you would not see that as precious. You know, the precious blood. Fear of not just taking the seriousness of that. Or going all the way back to where we are to hope in God. That's where all of these commands started out. The very first command was what? Hope in in Him. So another thing to fear is that we wouldn't be hoping in God. If we don't have that hope in Him, we're trusting in something else. Uh, fear the fact that you would not hope in God. That's something to be uh, fearful about. So, and, and then taking the redemption uh, seriously, what the Redeemer has done. That's a, it's a sweet word. And uh, it reminds a child of God that salvation has been purchased. And uh, it took a cost. And a very precious cost. A great cost. A personal cost. And of course, that's our Redeemer. And you know we hear Savior all the time, but a lot of times we don't hear the word Redeemer, and it has a lot of meaning. Uh, he not only saved us, but He saved us at a great cost. And that's where your redemption comes in. Uh, he gave His life a ransom, and He paid the price to redeem the sinners. Anyway, why don't we um, have a word with the Lord. Father, we are before You and recognizing Your great holiness as um, we think about Your absolute purity and perfection, Your separateness from all things, and even though You created things, You are far and above that. And then we see how that connects in with how You have redeemed us. And uh, with that precious blood, not of any other kind of man-made things and the precious um, silver or gold that uh, people base their money on, but it's uh, the precious blood. And may we not ever take that for granted. Uh, We ought to fear the fact that we would stop hoping in You. And of course, You're the one that gives us that hope. And um, that we would be able to see what uh, value this Redeemer is, what he, what he had done, and ever remind us of that. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are um, picking it up at um, verse 18. I guess the last time we were talking about you should be holy for I am holy and 
Then it's talking about the Father. We're, we are children of this great family. And yet He says He's the judge too. And we are to um, have that proper kind of fear. And so you can see how that plays a balance in what He has already said and, and where He's going with this and having a proper view of who He is. And if He is holy, we definitely want to be fearing Him in, in the right biblical way because of His great holiness. Um, in verse 18, it says, "...knowing that you were not redeemed..." He starts off negatively. "...not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold..." from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead, and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Hey guys, how we doing? There are three there, but actually there are four. One we haven't seen yet, but probably hears us right now. <laughs> getting close, getting close. Uh, we just started here. Um, the word redeem, and for all those Greek students that are here tonight, <laughs> literally Greek students that are going to far surpass me. I mean, all of their uh, knowledge already in two classes, uh, all of the Greek grammar rules which go like that over my head, <laughs> they're already doing. But uh, you might take note, that word there is lutrao. And uh, that's de uh, that's dealing with the redemption. Uh, lutrosis, you'll run into uh, some words sometimes that start with that L-U. It almost seems like, uh, I think, the root of it is, is dealing with loosen. Um, it means to release by paying a ransom price. To release. To set free. To set a prisoner free out of the bondage that he's in by a ransom. There's usually a, there's something that has to be paid to set that one free. Uh, to buy back someone from a bondage by paying a price. So that's the thought of uh, lutrosis or lutrao. Uh, we have been bought. We were bought out of the bondage of sin. He bought us. Now, does He buy everybody? He buys who are His. And when he does that, he purchased it at such a great personal cost. He purchased us. We're no longer our own. In 1 Corinthians, we know in chapter 3, chapter 6, talks about you know, us being in Christ and, and we are His and He owns us. Uh, he wants to control our lives. Sounds pretty freeing to me, doesn't it? Whenever he's going to take over and control, I like that a lot better than myself taking over and trying to control because I know that gets nowhere. <laughs> so I'm really glad that he does that. He, he bought me. Thomas Watson, who really has a way with words. He's sweet. 
he said this. It made me think after I, I read it. I go, oh, wait a minute. Great was the work of creation. Right? Work of creation was great. But greater the work of redemption. It cost more to redeem us than to make us. In the one there was but the speaking of the word. In the other there was the shedding of blood. Thomas Watson. Um, when I did um, my mom's funeral, I borrowed heavily from uh, Thomas Watson on uh, the glories of heaven. And uh, the way that he words things and puts it, it's like, boy, let me think on that for a bit. That's, that's, that's kind of sweet. It's really nice. So redemption means it implies bondage. And it implies a cost to bring one out of a bondage. It's going, to, it's going to, to be an extremely high cost in this case. And I think one of the best types, and there are a lot of types in throughout the Bible, I think you can think of the Passover as a beautiful picture, a type, the illustration of uh, Christ and His redeeming His own. And you have to think of a lamb's life and... When you think of that lamb, um, there was a cost to get um, spotless lamb, and it would, in, in this sense, it's either going to you're going to have that have that lamb's blood that's put on the doorpost, and also we know that the firstborn would not be killed had that that blood is applied. Well, all the Israelites did that. The uh, non-Israelites, the Egyptians, uh, of course, God didn't tell them to do that or not to do it, but they didn't have the blood on theirs, and of course, they lost their firstborn. It cost uh, the blood, a place of the firstborn. The lamb was a substitute. Uh, when you think of uh, not only there in the Passover, the lamb was a substitute, for their firstborn. And then later on through the sacrifices, it's a substitutionary sacrifice that's done. Rather than the people shedding blood, God used the, the, the lamb. And so the Passover lamb became quite a picture of a substitutionary redemption, atonement. And it was a technical term, this whole idea of redemption, for, for money that's paid to buy a prisoner of war, for instance out of the bondage they were in. Or a slave. A freedom for a slave. And we know that we were set free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. That implies what? You weren't free before. That means you were in bondage. You had to be bought out of that position. Uh, let's turn to Psalm seventy-eight thirty-five. Way back, a thousand years before Christ, this idea of the Redeemer was used, and they've been using the sacrificial system even 500 years before that. And even before that, you go back to Adam and Eve, and we saw that there had to be sacrifices. They remembered that God was their rock, and the Most High God, El Elyon, 
their Redeemer. The Redeemer. Back in the Old Testament, you see redemption. And uh, it's pictured, it's shown in so many different ways. God was revealing it. And of course, the ultimate uh, is uh, Christ. But that Passover really gave a good picture of it. And they still do that every year. (laughs) The Jewish people still uh, celebrate Passover, not really knowing what the fulfillment of that is. And that's kind of sad that they don't. The consequence of sin. The law said the soul that sinneth shall what? Perish. The wages of sin is death. Eternal death. So we were redeemed from sin and from the consequence of sin which ultimately points to death. Sin and death. So if our conduct... We're, if we are ever tempted to act like the preciousness, preciousness of the blood of Christ and, of course, the permanence of it, that precious blood, if we are ever tempted to act like it's less than that, then how can we ever hold back sin, right? We know that that's what has to take it away. Um, if our lives bear witness that the blood of Christ is powerless and we just live in sin. Jesus is not really our hope and our joy. And remember the word hope, right? Uh, Then we are not showing that that blood is precious. That would be a fearful prospect. That's why he says fear. You know, fear God that you would never see it less than the preciousness that it is. And of course, it gets even more precious as you understand who He is better and better. Let's go back to uh, that thought of coming out of bondage. And let's see how often we see that in Scripture. People sometimes kind of forget where they were really at before Christ. And, you know, the Bible teaches depravity of man uh, just all over throughout Scripture. The position of mankind is, is terrible. Well, we're going to look at it in the sense of being in bondage. Romans 6 has quite a few verses that deals with that. Romans 6, verse 6, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. That's what we once did. We we served sin. We we were slaves of sin. We're We're now slaves but slaves of Christ. Then we were slaves of sin. Keep going. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Uh, I think verse 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Uh, Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You were free from the righteousness. You didn't have righteousness. From that, you were in bondage to sin. Verse 22, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, everybody has to serve somebody, Remember the Bob Dylan song? (laughs) Gotta serve somebody. 
Hebrews chapter 9. So everybody's slave to something. Yep. One or the other, right? You cannot be in the middle there. Yeah. That's the whole point, isn't it? You're a slave one way or the other. Now, most people don't like to admit that. And most, a lot of Christians wouldn't like to say, well, I'm not a slave. You know, I'm in Christ. But, but we are. We are slaves. We're losses. We're losses. We ought to be proud to say that. Not proud in Christ. I mean, slaves. Bond slaves, matter of fact. It's not just servant. It means really slave. Hebrews 9.15, For this reason, He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. There He talks about He mediates a new covenant and uh, a death has taken place and He redeems us from the transgressions. Transgressions. Galatians 3.13 is really pinpoint. A lot of Scripture on this, isn't there? It's kind of good just to review some of these passages that deal with this great topic. Christ redeemed us. He bought us out of our bondage. That's what we've been looking at. He bought us out of there from the curse of the law. That's what the law does. The law is good and perfect in, in, in what it's, it was established for and what it does. But it can't save anybody. And what it does do is give a curse. Curse the law. Having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And of course, there it brings out Christ as the one who took that in. But the curse of the law. How about Ephesians 1, 6 and 7? Great section there on redemption. To the praise of the glory of His grace. Praise, glory, grace, which He freely, there's God's free will, bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption, buying us out of slavery, through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Colossians, a couple of books over. Colossians 1.14. Yeah. Ephesians 1 is good to review constantly. It uh, is definitely encouraging, realizing what our position is. Colossians says here's what He did. He rescued us. Sounds like that same kind of thing of redemption, which He's going to bring up. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. That's where we were at. Dark. Dead. What's that? Uh, Colossians 1. Well, I'm on verse 13. I'm going to 14 though. Uh, and transferred us to the kingdom. So we were in the domain of darkness. He took and bought us out of that position and then transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So 
we're redeemed. Not only are we redeemed, but we see also the sins are forgiven. They're taken away from us. Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Giving you a lot of Scripture on this, but boy, it speaks, doesn't it? Talking about the blessed hope and the appearing of great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Verse 14 says, "...who gave Himself for us to redeem us from what? Every lawless deed, and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession." That's because He bought us. (laughs) Zealous for good deeds. So go back to our first Peter, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. So we get the idea of this. If you want to back up, if if we're redeemed from the bondage of sin, if we went back to verse 14, where he says, as obedient children, now that's what we are. That's really our classification. Do not be conformed to the former lusts. So that's a pretty good word to come out of there. The word there would be epithumia. Epa is something that's built upon as having a strong desire, a very strong desire, if we can put it that way. And that's what this is, is identifying the very characteristic of an unredeemed person. They are ones who live in lusts, strong desires for bad things. That's a mark of an unredeemed person. He's driven by lust. He is driven by evil desire. And Peter says in verse 14, says, hey, you are obedient children. Now he says, don't conform to those former lusts. I mean, don't, don't you know, act like what you once were because here's what you really are. Um, so anyway, the idea of lust is there. We've been taken out of that kind of bondage. We were we were in bondage to lusts, and we know that can mean just about anything. I can think of Genesis six five, way back, way back to Genesis. You know what? I'm going to take out my little. $2 Bible to a King James Version. And I'm going to use a King James for the next few verses. Because it has this something that's rather interesting because many of you probably grew up on a King James and many of you probably didn't. Um, but if if you did... What did I say? 6-5, right? Oh, boy. This, these are little words here. This is a cheap, I might need your magnifier. Uh, but if you did memorization, remember reading it. Um, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination, remember that penny? Imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I'm going to hang with that word imagination for a moment. Um, because this is where the idea of you know the the lust the desires and all the the, the sin uh, this is playing a key role in how sin is played out 
And so here it talks about the imaginations of the thought of his heart. What, what are they? Evil continually. Only evil continually. Now, I'm going to... I looked at my NAS and it doesn't use imagination. And it's kind of interesting as, as we trace through that word if we look through King James. So you, you probably are not going to have imagination in your versions either. So it's, it's just kind of fascinating to see how it works. I'm not you know, saying, hey, your Bible's wrong because they don't have that. But it's kind of interesting because that's where we can understand imagination. Our imagination can take something, all of a sudden you start imagining something, you've been tempted and now your imagination starts building up something that you really shouldn't be doing. And it's, it's now it's playing in your mind and eventually it leads to the uh, an act of sin. Um, uh, Eldon probably has it right. Intent of the thoughts of his heart. Yeah. Yeah, this is every intention of the thoughts of his heart. Which is very good. I don't think it's really um, playing havoc with the, you know, the imagination thing. I, I think it, it, it kind of imagination might get a little more clue. You know, like intent is what you're building on to, what you're going to do. Uh, yeah, it's actually a, an old old word. Uh, and if we went back to the times of when Peter wrote this, they they would be thinking of the word imagination. And of course, you, your intent or your imagination just keeps building up, and you think, and then finally you you, you do that act. Jeremiah uses it a lot, in at least, it, I mean, in the King James here, Jeremiah chapter three seventeen. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart or intent. Do you have intent there? Yeah. 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 So you're getting you're getting the flow of this. You know that's that's what they did back in Genesis, and here's what uh, a natural man has to do: uh, walking in the imagination or an in intent of their heart. Chapter seven, verse twenty-four of Jeremiah. Can I read something in Romans? I think that defines what that intent or imagination is. Yeah, go right ahead. Filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That's your imagination. Right out of Romans one, yeah. all of the above, <laughs> and that's that's yeah. That puts a little bit of flush on it. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah, very good. That's right. Yeah, part. Uh, an unredeemed man, the the, the natural man, the uh, the old man, the, the nature that has not been changed. A new man or a redeemed man or a saved man uh, doesn't think is not like what that old man is or used to be. Yeah. So you're saying we have no choice but to do wrong. That's all right. Our imaginations were just like that. That's what we're slaves to. That's exactly right. 
Now, if you say that to a modern man today, they would probably take offense to that. Well, because there are some pretty good people. <laughs> That's right. That's what they say. We're still faced with all that today, but we're not as Christians, yeah, we can be tempted to that. That's why we're said, don't be conformed. Don't let it shape you into that mold because that's not the way you are. You're now a new person. But yeah, now we can choose to sin or not sin, but we have been delivered out of that. It's like we forget. And that's what the fear is that we're supposed to have. We're supposed to realize that that's where we were, and and if we don't realize that the redemption was paid at a great price, you'll just find that, and we take it pretty lightly, like the people of Israel often did. Yeah, he bought them. Yeah. Well, he goes on to say here that these people that do these things are worthy of death. But then also... And here's where I think we come in as Christians a lot of times who give hearty approval to those who practice mm-hmm. this. We give our approval to some of these acts. And it's, that's uh, that's horrendous. Who did you vote for? What's their position on this? You're giving hearty approval to whatever it is they're, they're approving of. Yeah, like a what abortion or homosexuality, or you can just go right on down the list. Yeah, Boy Scouts, including the gays, that's the latest news item right now. You give hearty uh-huh. approval to that. You're taking part in it. Don't you? Yeah, don't you think a hearty approval leads to the point of we see somebody doing that in the flesh, and we go, you know, I kind of understand why you feel like that. You know, you guess like we're almost setting ourselves up to go back into that thinking and do that ourselves. That's a lack of fear. Yeah. Um Jeremiah has that all throughout there. I don't know. Did I list those verses there? I'm not going to cover them all, but uh, even in uh, even in Luke, you see the same thing. There in Luke uh, one fifty one. Um, he has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts, or whatever you know, the, the intention. Um, what what's happening is we have these thoughts that come up, you know, in in our mind, and we think of it as temptation, right? We're talking about Christians now. Then we can start thinking, oh, if I could do that, that would really be really nice. Boy. And if I continue to think that way, I'm going to take that thought into my imagination. Now we start getting pictures. Um, We start moving this further. It's almost we, we start fantasizing about it. And then it moves into our emotions. And then the emotions then activate that will. And boom, you have sin. Of course, in James 1, I think you have the same kind of progression that creates that action. And that's what a lot of the ancient writers talked about whenever they would mention um, imagination and how imagination has to be controlled. But the problem with unredeemed humanity is that they can't (laughs) control it. That's why they're in it constantly. 
sin works in the imagination or in those intents of our thoughts, of our mind. It, it works in there. Uh, so, uh, I think you could say the imagination is totally dominated by sin. If one is not a believer, they're dominated by that. And so the, the flesh then, you know, uh, has these mental pictures and it develops into this this sin. Hey, this can make me happy. Scripture, what do you think it is? It's the thought, isn't it? Absolutely. So we know. It makes more sense, too, when you remember those scriptures that talk about how we need to change our mind. Renewing the mind. Constantly feeding it. You know, instead of letting the imagination be, use your imagination in a good way of feeding that of who God is. You know, or your thoughts or those kind of things. It's it's all a lie. Um, you know, of course, the father of lies. He's he's a deceiver. Uh, Satan is, and what happens is that imagination or our thoughts can develop into bigger thoughts. We get distortions. We get lies about everything. Lies about oneself. We get lies about pleasure. We get lies about uh, fulfillment in our life. We get lies about what joy is about. Uh, and then that can lead directly into into sin, gross sin, into depression, into hardness of heart, bitterness, all sorts of sinful behavior. Of course, Elder was just reading those out of Romans 1. I mean, just, that's, that's where it is. You know, that's... Misery. So imagination is where the lust conceives. So and then First Chronicles twenty nine, actually in verse eighteen, it takes the word again, uses that imagination and King James there, but same thought. And it's dealing with feeding the imagination with thoughts of God or the Word of God. So if we fill up our minds and our thinking and then let that proceed and build out. That's where those things can be good. So, what, of course, what we think is how we're going to live. What what we believe is what we're going to live. So that's one thing we're freed from. We are no longer under that bondage. The power of sin has been what? Broken. Broken can still affect us, but the power is, has now been broken. There's another thing. It would be ignorance. Ignorance would be something that we were freed from. Freed from lusts. Freed from ignorance. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, and Barb was just saying, what about that natural man? And of course, we know that that is one who is not a believer. 1 Corinthians 2.14 uses that word natural man, says this. 
But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for those things are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. If you're not spiritual, if you're not thinking of the ways of God, you cannot think of those things. You cannot. You're powerless. You're in bondage. It's going to take somebody from the outward to be able to free you from that bondage you don't even know you're in. It has to take somebody else, some kind of redeemer. Somebody's going to have to buy you out of there. But a natural man, um, he can't accept the things of the Spirit of God. So, he has ignorance. Um, Romans 1, just there, uh, earlier. Romans 1, 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And there you have that list. <laughs> it was just read. Uh, right? Uh, a depraved mind. Uh, they don't even acknowledge God. They don't have the knowledge of God. They don't want the knowledge of God. And so He turns them over to their lust. So in that sense, this speaking about the wrath of God, in one sense, I think we are in the wrath of God. Times we're living in, in that He's just turned them over and let people do unnatural. Even even to them, it's unnatural to do things, the body and such. Uh, Galatians four eight. We were freed from these things: lust, from ignorance. Working on ignorance right at the moment. Freed, it's nice to know we were freed from ignorance, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> However, at that time, when you did not know God, before you, Christ came into your life, when you did not know Him, what? You were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. Here we go again. Constantly, throughout Scripture, we see the position that we were in absolutely helpless. And worse than that. Ephesians 2.12 Delivered from ignorance. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Not, not knowing Him. Not having any knowledge of saving truth. Ephesians 4.18 being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. The ignorance. Well, that's pretty harsh language. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth of the Word of God. Okay, um, how about we've seen lust, we've seen ignorance, and that's coming right out of First uh, Peter one fourteen when we were moving back. You know, we were trying to head forward. Now we're going back to verse fourteen. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust 
We've been freed from that, which were yours in your ignorance. Right? We've been freed from ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves as in all your behavior, because it's written you should be holy, for I am holy. And then we'll we'll keep going on there. Um, I think... Let's go to let's move to verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life. We once lived in futility. We have been freed. We were bought out of futility. You know what futility means? It means futile. <laughs> it means aimless, it means vain, it means empty. Empty, vain, worthless is a good word for that. We were worthless. Everything we did was worthless. We've been freed from that. No value. Valueless. Freed from that. Pointless. Let's go to Acts 14.15. They don't want to do anything about it. Yeah. They have no aim. There's no purpose in life. Futile. Everything they do is really futile because it will not... They think it's okay and then it's there and it's gone. This is what we were free from. This is humbling, really, when we look at it and we go, I could still be there. It was all Him that bought me for... No reason of me. <laughs> it wasn't that long. Unlike a lot of you guys have been Christians for a long time, it wasn't that long ago I was there and it just amazes me when I read this stuff and when you talk about this stuff. They weren't that good, Yeah, Paul's preaching in Acts 14. Again, that's the same thing you guys are saying. But Men, why are you doing these things? That's a pretty good one, isn't it? Why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the Gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things, these useless things, to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Vain things, these useless, valueless things. Romans one twenty one. We were kind of there. You can look at Romans six, Romans eight, First Corinthians three, Ephesians four. Vain, empty, futile. So we were freed from that. We were bought out of that, and then we'll take another one as we are in uh, verse eighteen, First Peter one eighteen. That's where we started tonight, right? Well, we're back in it of life inherited from your forefathers. And you'll notice I have a word there, tradition. And that's kind of what it's hitting at. Whatever they passed down to them, which mainly was their traditions. Not necessarily biblical traditions. There can be good traditions, but we're talking about the forefathers, the sinning forefathers who passed down all the other junk and we were redeemed from a life of that came from tradition or inherited from our forefathers or from our family or just a 
anything that was useless. And you can think of Jesus, how, how He brought out uh, the idea of those vain, empty traditions. I think this uh, meant a lot more to them than it does to us. Uh, because you inherited from your forefathers. He was talking to a bunch of Gentiles, converts, and a bunch of Jewish converts. And the Jewish converts' background was people that sought God, hungered and thirsted to obey the Scripture. And here he's pointing back to them, who he was one of them, so he can say that. That he was uh, a persecutor of the Christians also. His friend Paul. That... uh, he wasn't just talking about, well, my grandparents and my great-grandparents. He was, I think he was talking about the Jews that had a zeal for God and as, was trying to serve Him. And, but in themselves, the only way they could do that was they make a bunch of laws. Do this, exactly. do that, do this, do this other. You keep all these laws and that will make you righteous and acceptable to God. That was their forefathers she's talking about. Yeah, and that's what they came up through. Yeah. So they they in one way it sounds like quite a blessing, and that sounds like what Romans two deals with. You know, they had all of those things, but yet it was because they had a zeal for God, but without knowledge. Without the knowledge of God. Their words, their method of seeking God was a self righteousness by obeying the rules. Yeah, the tradition of their pride. Mm-hmm. And pride, the opposite of humility, made them blind. That was certainly the problem. Yeah, for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I mean, that's what they go by. Yeah. I, my son also did one time. Mm-hmm. He, there was something about the church, because he was Catholic, and he said, well, it's tradition, and I thought, History and tradition. And there can be truth, some true things that are in that mixed in it, but as soon as you get any kind of, well, your pride, your legalism, you add to it. And of course, it's the Word of God plus nothing, right? The Reformation was about script, sola scriptura, scripture alone, not those things added. And of course, they added uh, 613 laws and the rabbinic literature and such. And uh, Jesus uh, quoted in Matthew 15.9, I think He quoted there out of, uh, was that out of Isaiah. He, and He calls them hypocrites. Yeah, verse 7, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. He, he told about you. This people honors Me with their lips, as He's saying there, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Of course, you know, without their heart being changed, touched by God, I can see why they got mad and run them out of town. <laughs> I wouldn't want somebody telling me this. Well, how dare, yeah, sure. how dare you tell us what we're doing wrong? Who are you? Yeah. Well, and not only that, it's all they had. Yeah, I mean, when your tradition is all you got, you're going to hang out with both hands. He, and now somebody's coming along telling you your tradition is worthless. Yeah, he was destroying the very foundation they were depending on. Exactly. Wow. There's nothing left. 
And that's what He does to everybody that becomes a believer. He has to strip us down to realize that, wow, this is what, what we were. And we'd be there yet today. And You know, the most zealous people for God right now today in this country are those people that have a bunch of rules. I can think of Muslims for starters. No, I'm thinking of so-called Christians. Oh, yeah. That, that have a bunch of rules. You know, if you're a Christian, you got to do this. I mean, you, you may have come to be a Christian by the grace of God, but now that you're a Christian, you got to do this and this and this. And, of course, what did Paul write in Galatians? It's like they went back to their bondage. Why did you go back to that? They've been set free, and then the first thing they do is allow people to put them back in bondage. That's kind of a nature of man to want to do that. And even Christians. He wants somebody over him, somebody to guide him and direct him. But without knowing God truly intimately, he'll turn to some man who will tell him what to do. Because you can see him, and there's some faith in that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little Feel that. If it's wrong, I can point my finger at you and say, you, you told me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the whole point... You want to share that there? What you got there, Janice? You want to share it with everybody else? You're going to hold it back. That's what I wanted from Elder when I was first born again. Uh, it, it was scary. Ellen says that you know that the Holy Spirit leads you, Scripture, but I didn't want that. And I would find out things that, well, like the books I read. I had to go in, they were Eastern religions and a bunch of psychologists. I had to go in and package those up and throw them away, and I thought, I should have done this ages ago. And I got upset with all of them. You knew that. I didn't remember you did. So that's what I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, draw the lines. It's a lot easier, isn't it? Well, it'll lead you right down the path that looks like it's right in the end. You'll drink the Kool-Aid. Wow. Yeah, the, the Jones cults and stuff. That's the danger of it. It's almost like it's almost like cultism. Anything that goes beyond grace alone, salvation by faith alone, and all all of the the alones, right, the solas, uh, turns into something else added, and that mixture is so dangerous that that's your Kool-Aid punch mixture. <laughs> It'll kill you. Well, he says in uh, in eighteen, he uses the word silver or gold. And also, those are things that are even perishable or the earthly commodity. Um, if you're a slave in Roman times, let's look at it as far as the slaves uh, were concerned in the Gentile realm. You'd be redeemed by uh, an amount of what we know to be as like money. They would use silver or gold, and that's how they would buy them out of that bondage. Those precious metals. And of course, they're still today here. Uh, I don't know if our money system is really based on that anymore. From what I understand, it's not. But um, 
Peter calls them even perishable things. Implies they're cheap in comparison with the precious blood that he speaks of in the next verse. I mean, how can you compare silver or gold to what how Christ bought us? In the Jewish realm, they could be thinking maybe of that, or they could be thinking of think about Old Testament time period. Go back to Exodus thirty. What about the silver or gold there? What about buying here? In thirty eleven eleven through twenty. Pick it up at verse thirteen. This is what everyone who is numbered, we're having a census taken, shall give half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 giras. You guys know what that is. Half a shekel as a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered from 20 years old and over shall give the contribution to the Lord. This is not very much. Half a shekel. Everybody could do it. The rich shall not pay more and the poor shall not pay less than the half shekel which you give the contribution to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. You shall take the atonement money from the sons of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting that it may be a memorial for the sons of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, You shall also make a labor of bronze. We'll stop there. But So there's, there's a, a sense of atonement. This is all a picture of ultimately Christ and, and, and that. But you know there are sacrifices of animals in different ways. But here is where everybody's going to pay the same price and it's half a shekel and um, it's, uh, I guess, whatever it was, it weighed about, I think, four-tenths of an ounce. It wasn't, wasn't much. Um, but that was representing, you know, buying, Christ buying us out of slavery, really, as they, they gave that. Look in Psalm 49, 7 and 8. Well, they they used okay. There are offerings, there's sacrifices that the Old Testament Jew would use for a picture of the ultimate atonement, redemption that Christ would do. Okay, here was a picture of redemption where they would actually put money. Okay, where they were buying. Themselves. That's showing the picture of Christ buying us out of a bondage. You know, there's so many different illustrations, and this is one that is um, used in in the sense that kind of picture silver, gold here in, in, in a in a sense. What does Psalm 49 say? No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever. So even there, you know, nobody's going to be able to redeem themselves or anybody else. That's to get those souls out of purgatory. It's the heart of heart of their uh, their gospel. I. <laughs> he said that right. Didn't he? 
Yeah, it was a it was a heart thing there, just like all their burnt offerings and sacrifices and stuff, you know. Can't pay more than a half. This should have been. Wow. I wonder what they did with that. How do they reconcile that kind of scripture? Wow. They just leave it out. Let's just not read that part. Oh, wow. All part and parcel of their of the whole system. Good illustration. And then your Isaiah fifty two three, I think, uh, or fifty two, yeah, three. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money. The Jews became slaves, right? The conquerors, Babylon and such, came in. You know, they paid nothing for Israel. You know, they just took them captive and and killed them, whatever. But uh, you know, read that forty ninth Psalm. It says, "For the redemption of his soul is costly." And he should cease trust. Mm. Boy, that right there, there in itself. So the Lord is the one who redeems and redeems by His blood. So that's what we were redeemed from, and that pretty well closes out our time. We don't even get to redeemed with. That's the precious blood. I guess we'll pick that up next week. Redemption, I just don't want to blaze through it. Because you saw how many verses, and we didn't hit the tip of the iceberg on the meaning of redemption and how often it's used throughout New Testament, Old Testament for that matter. What, what would you say, like, for Jewish and Chinese, would you like, uh, all these, like, livestock? They were purchased... Jewish people were purchased for price, but by the disobedience, they pushed the fence open and they wandered around, and then others came and took them away. There's no there's no price that was paid for them, but then the owner eventually did, but he lost he lost his son for that purchase of the wild you know that wild livestock. Um, yep. Type of a picture, kind of kind of thing. Yeah, he said we gave son and which is ultimately it's it's pointing to all of the ones that he has chosen and he buys them out of that bondage and uh, it's kind of interesting as you read into 20 he, you're talking about Christ and he was foreknown before the foundation of the world whole plan. And then he talks about, you know, he's appeared for the sake of us and through him we're believers in God. Anyway, and he wraps it up at the end of verse 20. We're we're not there yet, but he talks about the faith and hope that's in God. And then we see all of what uh, what he's done. It's basic gospel there, but... um, 
Salvation is a big general term. Redemption pinpoints it into exactly what happened in this salvation. It's a very detailed um, buying out of a specific cost that it took and where one was in that position. So it's easy to skip over a lot of times. We all like that uh, word, redemption, but we really focus in on it and uh, really understand where we came from. You must have found some more good stuff. (laughs) Certainly. For that he could cease trying for the redemption in his soul. That he could live on eternally and that he should not undergo death. That's what he's trying to do. For he sees that even wise men die and stupid and senseless alike perish. They leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their, their dwelling places for all. They have called their lands after their own name. But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beast that perished. This is the way of those who are foolish and those after them who approve their words. As, listen to this verse, as sheep they are appointed for shield. Hmm. Death shall be their shepherd. So that they have no habitation. Then he, he doesn't end it there, he says. But God will redeem my soul from the power of shield, for he will receive me. Redeem, again, right there. Redeem. That means that he too was in that same situation, but he redeemed him. I like these languages. Even the wise men die are stupid and sensible. <laughs> that pretty well says it. God says that. And when God says it, it's pretty graphic. Very descriptive. He doesn't beat around the bush, does He? Yeah. Well, anyway, nice to know we've been bought. We are in the possession of God Himself. And aren't you glad that you were taken out of those situations? We just...